0: But I went on this birthright trip, and my friends were there, and it was fun. And we did like the Golan Heights, and we went to Masada, and all of that was beautiful. And I couldn't stop crying, and I didn't know why. Why? What? What was I crying about? I was just so like moved by it.
1: You're listening to Your Jewish Life Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2023 on the show we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your jewish life your way with easy simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about so save your kvetching we're talking less jewish guilt and more jewish joy here on out yalla forget about the right and wrong ways to be jewish it's time to create a jewish life you love living I hope you're having a gorgeous day. Get ready for a wonderful episode that's going to lift you up if you need it and just be your friend in the background with whatever you're doing today. I've got the wonderful Kathy Heller on as a guest. She is a business coach and podcaster. She's got incredible podcasts that you're going to love as well. All the links are in the show notes. And Kathy specializes in helping women create wealth and happiness and manifest their dreams into reality. But Judaism has played a big part in her business journey, in her own spiritual truth. We also talked about speaking out against anti-Semitism because, you know, she's got a massive platform and a lot of Jews with big platforms on Instagram don't speak out about it. Kathy does and we had some really interesting conversations around that and I also asked her for her tips on talking to non-Jewish friends about anti-Semitism, about Israel. We just had a really, really great chat. So I hope you'll enjoy the episode. I hope you're brimming with Jewish joy. Just a reminder that as a podcast listener, you have a special 10% discount on the Jewish Joy journal, which is my book that I authored. It's a six month gratitude journal specifically for Jewish women. It is life-changing. It minimizes stress, anxiety. It makes you more resilient, happier from the inside out. It really is something special, something to to check out. If you don't know what it is, go to jewishjoyjournal.com. Use the code jewishjoypodcast, all one word, and you'll get a 10% discount just for being a listener it's a six month journal. So, you know, you can, you can guarantee yourself six months of fulfillment, fulfilment, purpose, joy, meaning, and just up level your life with a Jewish joy journal. So it's jewishjoyjournal.com. It's my book. It's a gratitude journal, the first ever one for Jewish women. When I felt that there was a real gap for that, when I was journaling um, last year following the loss of my mother and I created it, I saw the gap, I saw it was needed and I created it and it's just, it's become a bestseller. So if you want that special discount, go to jewishjoyjournal.com and type in Jewish Joy podcast for your 10% discount. Hope you enjoy the episode with Kathy. it's really fabulous. So welcome to the podcast, Kathy. really excited to meet you. I'm surprised we haven't met virtually or in person before, but today's the day.
0: (laughs) I know, thank you, Karen. And I watch your stuff on Instagram. And I think it's just adorable and, and so important, so important in a time like this.
1: Yes, yes. Well, lots of good conversations to be had today about joy, about purpose, about wisdom, about being an entrepreneur. But I thought I would sort of combine everything to start off with and ask you, how has being Jewish shaped your entrepreneurial journey? You know, you've, you've had from the outside anyway, sort of wild success with your book, your podcast, your programs, all the people you've impacted. I know your own personal purpose as well is is, has been fulfilled and, and has been Jewish shaped that journey? Yeah. I mean, uh,
0: it, it's shaped it in such a massive way. When I was In my early 20s, I went to Jerusalem, which I thought was going to be like a two or three week trip. And I stayed there for about two and a half years, learning mystical, uh, Kabbalistic ideas from a beautiful rabbi and his wife and their seven children living in the old city of Jerusalem with them. And that experience was really um, like getting a, a new software chip. (laughs) on the way that I uh, looked at the world. And it was about understanding my actual identity, which is that I was not somebody because I was nobody, not a body, but a soul. And Mm -hmm. that I was only someone because I was some of the one that Rabbi Aaron taught me that and that I was a masterpiece because I was a piece of the master. Mm -hmm. And that um, there was this infinite field of consciousness that we're all literally swimming in. And if God was like the sun, like we were each a ray of that sunlight, And that was a giant game changer to know actually who I am, right? Because I'm a part of that oneness. And to understand life from that way completely changed everything. And uh, to know that we're each needed, right? Like everything in the Amazon forest, everything in the ocean is unique, but needed. You know, just the oysters alone. We took our daughters on this trip and we were on a boat in the May river and the man who was our guide was showing us the oyster beds. And he said, you know, how these oysters, if they're not spitting, if they're not doing what they're doing, we wouldn't be here anymore because they're filtering the water. And without the oysters, there'd be a lot of red tide and eventually the sea life would dry up and then the land would, would die. Right. Cause we're all connected. And so I feel like we are each a instrument in the orchestra and it doesn't matter if you're a cello or if you're the triangle, if you're a drums or if you're a violin, each one is different, but it's each part of the same uh, tapestry that needs like a puzzle that needs each, each piece. And so you are part of this puzzle, this one consciousness, but yet you add A slightly different imprint it's like the periodic table of elements and we each add a different element one person might be copper and one person is silver and it's all made of consciousness it's all made of this one periodic table but yet there's this beauty in all the different points of light that are on this continuum and so learning in jerusalem gave me like a it hit control alt delete on the (laughs) The browser, the browser history of my mind <laughs> at that point.
1: Nice. I put it in. And it, it like gave
0: me, it gave me a different focus and a different frame to see the world with a different projector, a different screen. And then when I came out to Los Angeles, I was just playing with a different vibration. And the last thing I'll say is, um, my rabbi taught me, uh, that the world works more like a radio than, anything else because everything emits vibration because everything is much more uh, a frequency than it is something that is physical because atoms are 99% vibration, right? 1% only particles. So the world is mostly more of a, a frequency, a wave pattern. And so he said to me when I was 20 years old, that there... In this room, this very room that we're both sitting in, you're sitting in one room, I'm sitting in another, but there's literally frequencies. And if you have a receiver, like a radio, and you put it on the desk next to you, depending on where the receiver is tuned, you can hear different music. And that's an actual truth, right? So right now I'm sitting in Los Angeles, you're sitting in London, but if I I put a radio next to me, I can listen to salsa music, I can find hip hop music, I can find pop music, I can't hear it with my naked ear, but if the frequency I'm on were to tune in this radio, I can hear one thing, but if I change the receiver, if I change the frequency, I can hear a different broadcast. And so when I was 20 years old, he taught me that, which is a very Kabbalistic idea of the world because Kabbalah means, Le Kabbalah means to receive. So it's, a, it's not really about the law of attraction, it's the law of reception. Mm. And so it has everything to do with What frequency are you receiving? And if you're receiving a certain frequency, you will have that music playing all day. And so I think most people live the opposite, where they believe that life is happening to them. So it's not about what receiver, what frequency, it's more about the outside in. You're kind of more of a victim to the environment. Um, And then when I came to LA and I started to uh, play with and co create and design my life, I was designing it from. Consciousness from vibration. And I started studying mindfulness and meditation and everything I've learned since then. Whether I'm studying with Deepak Chopra or I'm studying with Dr. Joe Dispenza, people will say, Oh, you're quoting these people. And I'm like, I'm actually quoting Kabbalah. Like, I'm actually quoting a source that came to me 20 years ago, which is actually thousands of years old. It's actually been around for a long time.
1: So that was a profound trip that that trip to Israel. Funnily enough, I yeah. also went to Israel in my, were you in your early 20s? When yeah. I yeah, I was also in my early 20s and I also intended to be there just a couple of months and I also ended up being there a few years and it also was like life-changing in terms of how I saw myself and just, you know, taking yourself out of your environment into somewhere in- incredibly dynamic and fast moving and where everybody has the confidence to be themselves, their authentic selves in a place like Israel, that also really impacted me. And I wanted to ask you about something that I latched onto that you said, when you were in Israel, it felt like coming home, but you'd never really known what home was. Can you talk to me about that?
0: Yeah, that's such a beautiful question, because I love the question, but I also love what is in the answer. Like my experience was such a beautiful thing. And uh, what actually happened is the very first time I went to Israel was before the experience I just told you about. Oh yeah. I had gone two years earlier on a free birthright Israel trip and I had, I had no sights on going there. So it was, it was really a a testament to that mission that they, I think that they did a great job with that idea of birthright. It really worked. So I went on this trip, and I was like, "Okay, I'll go." You know, a few of my friends are going. What were you like, sixteen
1: I- or something?
0: No, I was eighteen. I was like, "All right, so I'll go to Israel." So what? And I go to Israel, and I don't know what to expect. I grew up very, very secular. I grew up so in secular LA? that on Yom Kippur, I grew up in Florida. I've in been Florida. in okay. I moved to L.A. twenty years ago. I moved here in two thousand three. But I grew up in South Florida and I grew up so secular that we didn't do anything Jewish. All I knew about Judaism was I knew that the Holocaust sadly had happened. I knew about Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and I knew Steven Spielberg was Jewish, that's it. Yeah, um,
1: very cultural.
0: And yeah. actually, yeah, actually once a year we would go to this amazing uh, like greasy spoon diner, like a sta- you know, an eggs, eggs and bacon place. And it was like pretty far from my house and we'd only go there once a year. And I remember one time asking my mom, why do we only come to this restaurant once a year? Cause it's, it's good. And she said, oh, because today is actually a day called Yom Kippur and I don't want to be eating <laughs> near where we live. So oh we would God. go to have bacon and eggs
1: <laughs> on Yom
0: like Kippur. an hour away once a year on Yom Kippur. So that mm-hmm. was my experience of Yom Kippur. So I went on this birthright trip and I had been dating a non-Jewish guy in high school. Like Judaism was not my jam. I was into Buddhism. I was into my friends would take me to his like Christian church. I thought that was kind of cool. I was not interested in making Judaism a big part of my identity, but I went on this birthright trip and my friends were there and it was fun. And we did like a Jeep ride in the desert and we went to the Golan Heights and all of that was Beautiful, we went to Masada and I couldn't stop crying. And I didn't know why. Why am I so? Why? What why was I crying about? I was just so like moved by it. Mm. And then it was the last day of our trip and I hadn't learned anything spiritual. We just had the most amazing trip, but there was nothing religious or spiritual about it. It was just a physically active, fun trip. And it was the very last day of the trip. And there was an opportunity to go to the convention center in Jerusalem. And they said, listen, you have two hours before we have to meet back on the bus, but you can take a class and here's the list of classes go. And so these classes were like 90 minutes and we could pick one class. And there was all these different topics. And so there was a class on Buddhism and Judaism. And I was like, oh, that's interesting because I was interested in Buddhism, right? So I go to this class and there's a rabbi there. May he rest in peace, Rabbi David Zeller, who I didn't know him at the time. And he's standing there and he's got his seat, his jeans, his Birkenstocks, his cute little scruffy beard, his t-shirt. He just looked like a jubu, kind of. That was his thing, right? <laughs> yeah. And he talked about, how, talked about how he was a psychologist who became a rabbi, but first he became Buddhist, then he came back to Judaism. And so right away, all the kids were kind of interested because he was a little bit of a lot of things. But now he was like this cool, hippie, orthodox rabbi. And he wrote the word on the board, Shabbat. And I had heard that word, but I didn't even know that the Sabbath was 25 hours. I thought it was just like a Friday night dinner that you did do. I I knew nothing, but he wrote the word Shabbat on the board. And he said, does anyone know what this word means? And people said, oh, it's the day of rest. It's this, it's that. And he said, well, what we've learned is that the, the very first time a word is used in the Torah, that's how we know what the word actually means from the first time it's used. So he said, we have this thing called the Concordians, which is a book that tells you where every word is used everywhere in the Torah, which is such a cool thing. It's an index that tells you like, you want to look up the word for mother. It'll tell you every page of the Torah, like where that's used in the Bible. And it's really interesting. So he said, let's go to the Concordians. And he said, I already know the answer, but I want to show it to you. So he looks it up and he goes, the very first time this word is used is in the beginning of the Torah, where Abraham, Abraham is sitting at the foot of the tent at the heat of the day, and it's three days after he gives himself a circumcision, he's like ninety <laughs> years old or whatever, oh and uh, and it says, "And Abraham sat," and it uses this word for Shabbat. It uses the root of the word to shape, to yeshay. Abraham sat, and he said, "He sat." What do you think that means? And everybody's like. He was sitting, he wasn't kneeling, he wasn't standing. And he says, No, this isn't about a posture. This is something else. And he said, It says, Abraham sat and he sat and three angels appeared to him, right? These three guests that were actually angels. So he said, What we learn from this is that Abraham was meditating. And what do people call a meditation? to sit like it's a sitting it's the, that that's a word people use in vernacular you know oh you want to go to this meditation sit we sit but he says the idea of shabbat the idea of the sabbath is not about just not doing it's about deep rest which is meditation it's one whole day to be in the present moment where you're not running you're not in the past you're not in the future you're here in the now and when and if Every one of us was to sit in this kind of a way, which is to sit and actually meditate. Ha- Hashem, God will appear to you because that's what happens because you meet God where? In the present moment. And I was literally, Karen, I was floored. I was like, that's I really Torah, that's to Judaism. Mm. I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. And I can't believe that's in my own tradition. So I went back to college and- Every time I wanted to feel connected, I would just sit down wherever I was on campus and just close my eyes and be present. And so when I went back to Israel, I thought I would go for a few weeks, but it was that sort of yearning. And so that feeling of coming home was so palpable and it took me home to the part of me that's always in reach, right? The part of me that's actually always there when I get quiet, which is God, right? Which is my soul. And I'll also just say the last part is that it was beautiful because I was I happened to go on the very first Birthright Israel trip, the very first one, really? which was for yeah, it was for January first, two thousand. So so cool that new year. That new year, we left in December. We left like December twenty eighth, and we were there for the millennia. We were so there for Y two K. Yeah, that's so cool. So I was on, so I was on that very first, like, this is our, our kickoff birthright Israel trip. And what was so special about it is at the time Yehud Barak was the prime minister, he met us at the airport. And when we all touched down, it was like, we touched down at the same time. So it was like a plane from the States, a plane from Canada, a plane from Brazil, a plane from (gasps) all, all over the world. And so he was blasting. There was these big speakers, and they were playing "We Are Family." Oh my god! I would. That's everybody was much. in tears, and he was saying, "France, shalom! America, shalom! Like wow. Brazil, shalom!" And all these kids, about the same age, college kids, we all got off the. We got off the plane. We were standing there. This is before they redid Ben Gurion Airport. We were standing on the tarmac. None of us speak the same language, right? This one speaks Portuguese. This one speaks French. This one speaks, and we're literally in a circle, holding hands and singing Hatikva, which I barely even knew, and falling our eyes out. And I was wow. like, my whole, my whole life. Amen. I, I mean, my whole life, I was looking to feel connected and belonging, and. I barely felt connected to anything, let alone Judaism. I didn't feel connected, but here I was. And I was like, huh, I wonder why I feel so connected to people I've never met. And then we ran all around the country and no wonder I was crying. Cause I just felt like there was something in the air that was, it was a feeling of home. There and then it was literally an hour before we left that I had that beautiful class and that changed
1: my, that changed the trajectory of my life, that class. And how? T- Smashing Life is the number one app for Jewish women that I founded and created out of a real need. It's for anything from asking a question about being Jewish in 23 to asking for life advice from folks who are just a bit more removed from situations. or simply scrolling through the app, seeing what Jewish women around the world are all going through similar and different experiences. In a time when anti-Semitism is being concealed less and less, it's so comforting to know that we have each other on the app. It's a place to belong. It's a place to have fun. It's a place to be inspired. It's a place to discover, to share, to connect. But let me hand over to Ashley, one of our members, for you to hear about it in her own words. So my favorite thing about being in Smashing Life is that it provides access to a group of friends where it's safe to share things that are good, that are bad, and things that you would never share publicly, like, I just took a pregnancy test and it came back negative. This sucks, everybody commiserate with me, or, Someone at work just threw me under the bus. You know, people are so supportive and you get to share something positive like, hey, you know, I just got a promotion at work but I can't share it yet because it hasn't been announced yet. You can just share everything with each other. Your group of friends cheering you on, supporting you for whatever you need, it's so special. So come join us, just search for Smashing Life on Google Play or in the Apple App Store. Join the number one community where Jewish women discover, share and connect. There's no labels, there's no judgment, it's just authentic connection, a place to express yourself freely, make new Jewish friends and most importantly, have fun. I'll see you inside Smashing Life. Did your family react to this, um, you know very powerful experience of yours in Israel having, because I'm quite interested in your childhood that, you know, normally ask my guests, how did Judaism play a role in your life growing up? And the truth is, it didn't play any role in your life growing up, really, did it? I mean, it sounds yeah, like we it were... wasn't part of your household. You, your parents didn't want to, want to pass anything to you or I mean they I did,
0: it did. In the sense that my mom and my grandparents were very aware of anti-semitism. Yes. But if you don't give a kid conscious, beautiful, yeah. Yeah. deep insight, it's not enough to just say, you know, people, people hate Jews, you should watch out. It's like, oh, then all Judaism is is stressful. You know, it's yes. just something people don't like me for. Yes. Um, so I heard about anti-semitism and my parents were very proud when people were Jewish. Like I knew that Jonas Salk created the polio vaccine. I knew I knew yeah. Jews had done cool things in the world. I knew that Einstein was Jewish. I knew that. And then once a year, we'd go to my dad's parents' house and they would have a Rosh Hashanah dinner. But I didn't know any of the spiritual, traditional things. I just knew they set the table and we wear a fancy dress, right? Yeah. And then when I was 13, I had a bat mitzvah, but because I didn't, know anything um we just had a party and we had like shrimp cocktail at a party and it wasn't even my birthday's in June and my bat mitzvah was in December because my mom said nobody will come to no one comes to Florida in the summer so we have to do <laughs> it in the winter so we just had a big party when I was 13 and a half and it yeah. was a Disney theme but there was nothing about Torah that I actually understood so I, I think my parents Wanted me to know that I was Jewish and to know that Jews are important, but it's I didn't know anything. So when I when I came back from when I came back from Israel, yeah, it was interesting because at first my parents were like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool that you have embraced your Jewish identity, you know, and I wore a Jewish star after that, and I was all into Judaism and Israel and da da And then they were like, wait, you're way too Jewish. Like this is too, too much. Like, why are you? And then, but then they came around and what happened was then in my twenties, I moved out to LA and I was having Shabbat dinners and hanging out with a lot of Jewish singles and going to Torah classes. And it was just a very big part of my identity in my life. My parents would come to town and have these dinners and my parents are divorced, but they would separately come into town and they were very inspired and as a result, my mom started to read Torah books and just be interested. And my dad started to say he started to like light candles on Friday night and say the Shema in the morning. And he really embraced it. I mean, neither of them stopped, you know, eating bacon and shrimp. That's okay, or, yeah. they didn't, it doesn't matter, right? Exactly. I'm saying,
1: it's it's the version. yeah they
0: got excited about it. So now, you know, my kids go to a day school. And they love that. And my kids, they know, you know, we made hamantashen and they we sent pictures and they expect that. And they love that. And they're so grateful that that's being passed down.
1: Yeah. And it's really interesting because what you're telling me about your childhood, it was like, it was almost the nuts and bolts of Judaism. And actually the, the beauty of Judaism is the, the spirituality, the values, the rituals, the stuff you can't see or do almost. And yeah. it sounds like you've totally sort of not made up for it, but like you've gone, you've gone all in on that in adulthood and, and you've made it your own as well, which is really interesting, you know, how it ties in with your work and the impacts you're having. And it almost reminds me of Tikun olam, like you with your don't keep your day job work, you're, you're fulfilling tikkun olam, repairing the world. Is that, is there something Thank
0: in you. there? Yeah. I mean, first of all, there's two things you just said. One is making it my own because when I first came back from the three years in Israel, I was extremely focused on both the inward, the spiritual, right. And also the external. So I was wearing skirts and I was, I was very traditional. And for about 12 years, if you would have met me, I would have told you, make sure you call me, you know, Friday by four o'clock. Cause my phone will be off. So don't think I'm rude. You know, for 12 years, I was extremely um religious I guess you could say in that way and you know we we just we just lived that very but like very modern orthodox but that's like how I lived and then I had kids and I started to expand and grow and keep growing and evolving and eventually I actually realized that for me there were a lot of things about keeping a certain external persona that were actually coming from not really the most aligned place. It was coming from, it was a great routine. I really liked the sort of the structure of it. Um, But eventually I started to feel like I was living in a Jewish community and I would go to people's houses for these five hour long Shabbat lunches or dinners. And I actually didn't find that the conversation was particularly spiritual a lot of the time, but there yep. were a bunch of people who really were right. It's a yep. mishmash like any community, but I started to long to want to be out of the box and kind of eclectic. Yep. And so now the way our life works is my kids go to a community school, which means some of the kids are traditional. Some of the kids aren't, there's a lot of Persian Jews in the school. There's also a lot of secular Jews in the school, but there's a, there's a through line, which is Shabbat dinners and being very proud of being Jewish and pro Israel and Zionist and, and we, we, we do Shabbat dinner we make Kiddush and we light candles. And then on Saturday, we, we do something that makes us, you know, connected to the day. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll take a hike and we'll take a walk. We're not going to the movies necessarily, but we will, I will use my phone and we will sure. get in the car and I don't keep strictly kosher and I don't cover my hair anymore. And I don't wear only skirts. And yet I have a love for all of that. I and I also find for me that, you know, consciousness and being present and meditating to me is so important. And I actually see that there is a, there's room for improvement because when I go to a synagogue, there's something very hypnotic and meditative about just listening to the Hebrew because Hebrew is what, you know, there's, I could go on forever about Hebrew and the power of just that language and how we create the world through words and how there's something so powerful about Hebrew language and, I think that there is a lot that we could insert into traditional everyday Shabbat practice where people would meditate and 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 get beyond the avatar, get beyond the identity of the ego and actually go into oneness. And so I find that a lot of my actual quote unquote religiosity now comes from having a daily meditation practice, which I didn't actually get the way that I would have hoped I would have gotten it from walking into all of the synagogues, although there's a beauty there too, but it was like, I kind of had to mash together different experiences from different yeah. places and put them together with my Judaism. So that's making it my own. And then the second thing you asked about Tikkun Olam, absolutely. I mean, I think there are some of us in the world who really feel like we're on a quest to really truly make the world better than how we left it when we got here, like leave it better than how we came to it.
1: Which is the essence and of Judaism. I feel it... <laughs> it's the yeah, essence, I think it? It put is think goodness, Put goodness into the world. I
0: think you're right. And so I do feel that I once heard it said by a rabbi of mine that the opposite of depression is, is more purpose than happiness. And so yeah. I started to think about, you know, everybody is needed and everybody has, something in the orchestra that their notes will fulfill and they need to play their instrument. And so my podcast is now called the Kathy Heller podcast, because it became about so many things beyond business and, and that we changed it several months ago, but it started out being called don't keep your day job because I felt as though every person had a calling and I wanted to inspire them to pursue it. And so I do feel that still, although now the show has kind of gotten bigger than that, where I'm teaching people basically how to open the door to the present moment and use meditation and other tools to design their life.
1: I love that. It's like, and to me, that answer, although you were answering the two, two parts to the question, it's all one, your Jewish life, your way, you know, you've, you've experienced so many different elements of Judaism and you've now, in adult, you know, 40s, I don't know, maybe it's on your 30s, you just, you're doing it, you're living it in that present moment. It's not about the shoulds. It's not about you know, whether you eat bacon on young people or not, which some people be horrified by. I really don't. I'm sure you don't, but I really don't care if you do. It's like we, I, one of the goals for this podcast is to inspire people to live their Jewish life there and be free of the shoulds and the musts. I love that. The, yeah. Good Jew, bad Jew. There's no such thing. It's your Jewish life. And I can see how energized you are by your practice and the elements that you choose to infuse into your life and pass on to your children. What do you love doing with your children? Are you are you part of a, a community outside of the school or is it very much? I loved what you said, by the way, the Persian kids and this one and that, and the thread of Shabbat. It was just great. <laughs> yeah, I
0: love it. I mean, every night we say the Shema together and we do Friday night dinner and we talk about Shalom Alechem, and we talk about asha Chayil and I tell them like this prayer, you know, this was written thousands of years ago when women around the world were being treated less than people would treat an animal. And in Jewish households, we were praising women and acknowledging women. And so much of the success of Jews surviving through thousands of years is the respect for women in the community. And that was very progressive and so was having a ketubah. and I teach my kids because it's hanging on our wall that, you know, Daddy made a contract. He he promised me that he would be there for me emotionally, spiritually, physically in every way, and that's that's such a beautiful gift that Jews thousands of years ago knew that women uh, would would be deserving and needing that, and that's very progressive. And so every Friday night, you know, and then when we make kiddush, we talk about like. This is our way of te- giving testimony to the fact that there's a creator of the world and that one day a week, we can, we can just be here. We don't have to strive. We can just be with what is and take it in, take in how good it is. So Shabbat's very central in our house. And so is every day, you know, talking about Hashem is very central and, And then, yeah, all the holidays are really, you know, my kids, we celebrate all of the holidays. And so whether it's Sukkot and we're making the Sukkah and they love it, um, it's the most amazing gift that holiday. And of course, Hanukkah is awesome and Passover and Purim and they commentation for Purim. We give people shalok monot and like, so like there's a very steady stream of Jewish thought and Jewish practice. Uh, in our house.
1: And does that, um, you know, I'm just cur- curious here, because there's obviously no right or wrong answer, but how you've got a big platform on social media, podcast, you're a um, successful best-selling author. Do you feel comfortable to be openly and un- unapologetically Jewish on your platform? Do you feel Yes. You know, how, yeah. And do you do you put it out there and do you take but like tell, talk to me about sort of having being unapologetically Jewish on your platforms?
0: Yeah. When I very when I first started the podcast, I was a little bit hesitant. And then about. About mm-hmm. a year in, we've been doing it for six, six years, um, I started to feel like, wow, you know, um, Queen Esther, you know, there's that line. In the Megillah, where Mordecai says, you know, perhaps you are in this role for such a time as this, that you have this position and this authority and this platform because of a time like this that you're needed. And what an incredible role. And I think any and all of us who have influence in the world, the fact that we have anything that is our truth, whatever our truth is, it's needed for such a time as this. Right. And so I started to talk about it and um two summers ago in May there was yeah. a uh just just another burst of the May um, 21 really sad yeah, yeah. it was it's pretty awful what was happening and there were all these rockets being fired from Gaza and Israel was all over the news and my heart was just breaking and we were on a vacation we were on a trip in South Carolina and I I couldn't sleep. And, um, people were posting such horrible things about Mm Israel because they just didn't know. And I had a friend who's extremely bright and sweet and smart. And she posted this really Mm -hmm. horrible thing about Israel. And I, I privately messaged her and let's call her Susie Smith. if That's not her name, but I said to her, Susie Smith, (laughs) that's not (laughs) her name. But I said to her, whatever her name is, I said, listen, I want to just Address this because I don't think you have any intention of doing anything that would hurt anyone. I think you're just for kindness. And I just want to share with you my experience because it's my experience and we're very close. So I just thought maybe I should share it. And we went back and forth. And she said, I'm so grateful that you shared that. And it's amazing how much I don't know about the situation. And I'm going to take it down. And she said, You know, my dad's Jewish and I don't really know much about this. And I'm so glad you shared that Kathy. She goes, cause you're somebody I love and trust. And the fact that you're in tears and you're sharing what you're sharing, it just makes me think maybe I don't have all the information. So after I talked to her, I thought, you know what? I think I need to share this publicly because mm-hmm. I was scared. Right. But I was yep. like, I think I need to sh- share it. And so I did a, I did an Instagram live, which I then turned into a podcast because our podcast has about a million downloads a month. So I knew that even if only some people saw it on Instagram, it gets further on my podcast. And so I went on to Instagram live and I was just heartbroken. I was in tears. And I said, listen, I'm a person and I'm a mother and um, I have to have integrity when I go to sleep. And I've been so scared to say what's on my heart, but because I have to have what's called integrity and I have to be true to myself. I can't go another nighttime and go to sleep without saying this. So I said, for whatever it's worth, I said, I know that a lot of you might want to just jump down my throat and some of you won't, but whatever, for whatever it's worth. I said, in 2006, I was in Israel and Israel gave back Gush Katif. Israel gave back Gaza. And I said, it was a really hard time. It was really challenging and it was really scary, but every person left Gaza And I went and I saw homes made of the most beautiful architecture. There was a house with these mosaic tiles and trees. And I remember thinking, how are you standing here, Mr. Tree? There's sand underneath this Mm -hmm. tree. And yet this community was so determined to make that land come to life that these Jews in Gaza were able to take Gaza and desalinize the water and make the sand turn into earth. And there were trees and parks and buildings and beauty and hospitals. And I was there to see the withdrawal from Gaza. And then what I did also get to see, which was so heartbreaking, was bulldozers come in and I'm not great at the remembering which terrorist organization was involved, I don't know if it was Hamas or Hezbollah, but basically they bulldozed <gasps> all the homes and all the hospitals and all the schools, literally bulldozed You saw that with your own eyes. Of, yeah, community where houses were literally on the sea, right, on the Mediterranean Sea, homes that would be worth so much money. They literally leveled all of Gaza. And I remember standing there, with a Palestinian boy who was about 14. And we were both crying so hard. And he said, why, why would they do that? And I said, because they don't want anything other than this battle to continue. Because they just wanted peace for you. They would have you inhabit and live in those houses, but that is not their goal. That is not what they want. And so what wound up happening is they took this beautiful land and they took these homes. And instead of allowing people to have use of them, they just created terror tunnels and they, they used it as a uh, a place for where by proxy they could get into the you know the 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 other part of actual israel i had to share that in may of 2021 wow, because that's, that's
1: courageous that because is an, there was so it's an much important, wow yeah it's one thing yeah. to share it now it's an in important piece of history. but back then it was so everything was hot. Hit. Wow. And then what was the reaction, Kathy? And,
0: and you know what? I had a few people respond with some like, you know, just nastiness, but ultimately people were really loving. And And honestly, what I said was, you know, I love, I love people, you know, so I want all people to be free and want them to be able to ride a bike and go to college and eat a sandwich, like for all people, you know? Literally. And I said, but there is a a problem because you know what what i think is so fascinating is that we can see with our own eyes what's happening in iran and we can see how dangerous and scary it is what what they're dealing with and how these women are trying to rise up and we are hopeful we're so hoping that they will overthrow this horrible you know impossible you know government But what people fail to see is that Iran funds Hamas and Hezbollah. So as long as Iran is involved, then Israel isn't actually having a conversation about how are we dividing up this land and two states. We're really arguing with Iran, who is very openly behind it and funding it and basically just wants to wipe Israel off the map. So It's extremely painful. And what's also so important to know is that when you go to Israel and you're in Jerusalem or Tel Aviv or whatever, within Israel, there are so many Jews and Arabs working together, going to you know, work together, hanging out together, friends, and there's coexistence inside of Israel. And what people don't realize is that Jews can't live in Libya or Syria or Saudi Arabia or Iran, like. There is no place in the Middle East. The Middle East has been ethnically cleansed of Jews. And the only place you could be openly gay, you could be openly Jewish, you could be a Christian and a Jew married. The only place that all of that happens in the Middle East is in Israel. So there is so much about being a Zionist that makes you progressive. And had I never lived there, though, Karen, had I never experienced this for myself, I would just be feeding off of what is popular and hashtags and Bella Hadid and all that, but because I actually myself was there, I just have like, you know, more knowledge than that.
1: Yeah. And I, I relate to so much what you're saying also, but what I want to say to the listeners is, you know, from Kathy's story, first of all, yes, she's got a big platform, but I think one of the most impactful things you did was, talk to that one friend behind closed doors and that's the most powerful conversations the one-to-ones and anyone listening can do that it's not about having a big platform having that big you know impact it's about those one-to-one conversations that actually really move the needle and also what you say Kathy about yes you live there and that's how you gain the knowledge but you know anyone can gain the knowledge whether it's listening to this podcast whether it's reading up on something watching a YouTube video where it's all broken down and explained the history reading no Tishby's book israel which will link to the most misunderstood country on earth which we will link to in the show notes along with everything to do with the world of kathy heller you know it's just about having the knowledge to then have those conversations and you can move the needle and i found it really inspiring to hear the story about you and your friend even more so than what you did on the platform because i feel like people are scared to talk to their friends. Even they just don't want to yeah. go there and don't, you know, what would you say to someone who's hesitant to sort of speak out and stand up to it?
0: I mean, I think that everybody wants belonging. So we're afraid to not belong, right? We're afraid to be, you know, at Thanksgiving dinner and say something and have someone roll their eyes or decide that they don't like us because we want to be loved. But at the same time, My friend Mark said to me, if but if you don't belong to yourself, then then who do you belong to? Because if you're hiding your truth to belong, well then you don't really belong to that person because they don't really know you, right? Love that. And and the other thing I would say is, you know, it's one thing to know about history, right? And and what's going on politically. But I think what's even more important is actually to know what is Judaism actually about? Why is there such a need for anything Jewish to remain. Like, w- what are we fighting for? Why do we need to be proudly Jewish? Like, well, we're not proudly Jewish just so we can rebut people who hate Jews, right? That's not yeah. the point. <laughs> so what's 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 really compelling to me is, and we talked about it earlier in the story that I told, but Abraham, Abraham was literally the most revolutionary human being Because if you go back to Abraham, he was the first human person that had the most innovative idea, which is that God was one, that God is consciousness, that God is this thing that you can't touch or feel, but it unites all of us. And that is the most beautiful idea because before that, the world, whether you're looking at what was happening with the Incas and the Aztecs and the Mayans Or looking at what's happening in Egypt. Like people believed in statues and multiple things and physical things. And Abraham comes along and says, I think God is one. I think God is the consciousness, the infinite intelligence that's in all of us. And what makes that so powerful is the reason there's so few Jews is not just because Jews have been hated for thousands of years and killed. It's because we don't convert people the reason we don't convert people, the reason we're not missionizing people is because we believe every person is already connected to this thing called oneness, that everyone is already locked and loaded with what they need. They don't have to become Jewish. Judaism wasn't meant to become a world religion. Judaism was an idea that every person could be a part of and Jews had a job to teach that level of elevated oneness and consciousness to the world, just like all these other people have a different job to do. So, what is important about having a Jewish country? What is important about being Jewish is God consciousness. And what is God consciousness? Consciousness, oneness, right? Yeah. So our central prayer, Shmaya Israel, Hashem, Hashem Echad, it's oneness. And so when you ask people, you know, what do you even know about Judaism? Like forget all of the conversation about this one piece of earth. What is Judaism even about? Do you know how revolutionary it is? Why do you think? Why do you think so many people through history who are Jews have these big imaginations and tend to kind of reinvent themselves? What do you think it is about the culture that allows for that to happen, right? So there's something really important there. And and one thing that I say to people is, do you know, for instance, like if you type it into Google, what is the vegan capital of the world? The, The answer that Google will give you is Tel Aviv. Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? Like, how could it be that this place that people have deemed to be the most horrible place in the world could be the place where they have the most vegans. And then if you type in, (laughs) where's like the biggest pride, gay pride parade in the world, Tel Aviv. So then you go, hang on a minute. You're telling me that this place that I've been taught is evil is actually home to the most conscious, coexisting, elevated, progressive people. That doesn't make sense, does it? And then you realize, oh, it's because There's something so much bigger that's happening in this one place with this one group of people with the way they think about the world, right? That's very different than, we don't even need to talk about the history of the land. Let's talk about the history of the ideas. Let's just talk about what those ideas are about. And what we're fighting for is to continue to pass on those ideas, Right. And, and what happened is since (laughs) Abraham opened his mouth and since Abraham opened his mouth and talked about God, God has been hijacked in a million different ways, but we don't believe that God is a person. We don't believe that you're separate from God. We don't believe that you have to earn it. We don't believe that there's a heaven and hell. We believe that you and your own journey, you, you are so connected all the time. And so that's, what's important to me me is like what are we actually about versus what are we trying to like debate I'm not yeah. that interested in the debate
1: wow there's a lot there I want to I can't believe how the time's flown I want to have time for our fun quick fire round to keep it light at the end so just one last question before we we, we head into the quick fire round you know you're very much about helping people find their purpose And I know it's not an overnight thing to find your purpose, but in a nutshell, any kind of big takeaways for anyone listening today who's feeling a little soulless, who's feeling a little, like they're not there towards finding their purpose.
0: Yeah, I would say two things. First of all, in order for us to create, we need to have a coherent mind. So what does that mean? It means that most of the time we hang out in our limbic mind, which is our reptilian brain, which is our fight, flight, or freeze response. And from the ages of like zero to nine, Most of us have been, there's a program of fear, right? And your amygdala is trying to protect you. So I say this first because oftentimes we're in a trance, actually. We're thinking the way we thought yesterday, which means we feel what we felt yesterday and we do what we did yesterday. So oftentimes when we're looking for an answer to like, what's my purpose or what do I want to create in my life? It's really hard to grasp an answer in that that old pattern, that old tape. And so- What we understand from looking at the mind is that when we can fly over our mind, like a drone view, like a witness and notice that our mind is active, we can start to come to the front of our brain, which is our executive function, our prefrontal cortex, where we can be in the present moment and we can actually witness ourselves. And all of a sudden we can take in the good of this moment, breathe in a little bit, feel ourselves breathing, feel our sit bones, and we start to become present. Now, once we're present, we can actually see, instead of seeing inside of a fishbowl of the same thoughts that played yesterday, we can actually see what's here in front of us. And in the present moment, actually is where we meet reality as reality actually is with a capital R, which means all things are possible. And we came to the world to be creators. We came to create, we create from thought alone. And so we start to use our imagination and we start to come out of this trance of the fight or flight and we can actually create, we can start to think about things. And then that thought gets more steam. And then we have more thoughts and more feelings. And next thing we know, it's like, boom, we're going to create Disneyland or boom, we're going to have this conversation with someone or boom, we're going to have this event at our house. So that's how we create, first of all. And the second thing to know is that we do have... Mm -hmm. Many, many, many things that we came to the world to leave as an imprint. And very often we just haven't gone on enough of the journey to even excavate what are the things that are inside of us that we crave, that we love, that we want. Because very often our purpose is a a way in which we solve a problem for someone else. Usually our purpose has to do with something in our own life that was broken or that needed healing that we found a way to heal. And maybe we healed it through art or we healed it through meditation or we healed it through uh, a particular kind of a way that gave us more productivity. Whatever that is, is usually an, an inkling. It's a clue as to what is your purpose. And there's a word called ikigai in Japanese, which is like three points coming together that help you find your purpose. And they are the answer to three questions. What are you good at? What do you love? Like what makes your heart come to life? And what does the world need? And usually when you really play with and look at what, what do I love and what does the world need and and what am I good at? There's usually a way that you're particularly wired to be good at something that you love to do that the world needs. And I think what I have tried to do is to show people that that is all possible, that there is absolutely a place in which you get to have that experience
1: beautiful i really resonate with that and i know lots of food for thought for everyone listening which is great so let's dive into our fun quick fire round finish off okay what is your favorite jewish tradition by the way you can answer with one word you can elaborate with a story as you wish If you could only live with one of them and you had to disregard all the rest, (laughs) I'm being very cruel today.
0: (laughs) My favorite Jewish tradition is Shabbat, because I think having that structure in our life, I think so often we, we can be more productive with less time when we have more resonance. And so when we actually have a pause between the notes, we actually have so much more that's palpable because we are allowing for ourselves to wax and wane and to cultivate and develop an idea or something. And so I think we live in a very hectic, busy world. And so I think Shabbat is imperative.
1: And what is your favorite Jewish food?
0: I love Jewish food. So I mean, the first thing that just comes to mind is like a corned beef sandwich with like pickles and sauerkraut. (laughs) But I love potato latkes and I love blintzes and uh, I mean, the food is just out of this world. So good. I don't know. They're all so good. Jerusalem
1: or Tel Aviv?
0: Jerusalem. I, I when <laughs> I went to Tel Aviv, I once, I went a few times and it's cool and beautiful, but it's not even close consciously. And when I remember being in Tel Aviv once and someone said they had never been to Jerusalem, they grew up in Israel. And I was like, how is that a thing? You know, like it's 45 minutes away. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's like two different worlds, I guess. It's like if anyone from London, it's like north and south London, people don't visit either side of the river, That um, they should. What small thing is bringing you joy lately? It doesn't have to be Jewish. What small thing is bringing you joy lately?
0: You know, I would say meditation, but what I really mean is being in that meditation state where I see Kathy Heller as just two words Kathy Heller and like I'm really watching myself have the experience from a higher level of consciousness just continuously coming back to that throughout the day and and taking in the good like stopping even if it's three minutes a few times a day to just stop and breathe mm. and take in the good. I feel like we live in a world where people that. are so unsatisfied. It's always like the next thing, the next thing. And we really need to stop and fill up our bellies with how good and beautiful That's it is true. in this moment.
1: Absolutely. What who's the celebrity you'd most want to interview on your podcast that you haven't yet?
0: That's a great question. I really do want to interview Steven Spielberg. And I talked to someone recently about doing that.
1: Gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, if you could have Friday night dinner with any three Jewish people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um,
0: Einstein, my grandmother, and um, maybe Queen Esther. Let's bring her into the
1: Ooh, mix. Oh, what a good time! Well, Kathy, this has been <laughs> fabulous, and um, we're gonna link to all your touch points of your world in the in the show notes but where where can everyone find you let's hear it from you <laughs> um
0: so the podcast is called the kathy heller podcast you can find that anywhere we put it out several times a week and i'm on instagram at kathy.heller and um i do workshops that are free every few months online for thousands of people and we meditate and we create and all i can't that, believe we had, i didn't even get so on to you i, I
1: I can't even even get into your more of your entrepreneurial stuff because I'm I'm very interested in that side. But I know this is not an entrepreneurial podcast, so I kept it on theme. But I'm so we're, we're going to have more conversations anyway. We're booked in for some other stuff, but I I, I want to go down that alley another another time. But this has been amazing today. I've loved it. I hope you have too.
0: <laughs> I love you, and I love what you're doing, and I've watched your stuff, and I'm just rooting for you all the way. And it's so rare that I'm on a podcast where I'm asked all of those questions about all those things. And so it was so nice to get to tell those stories. I'm gonna and thank I'm you. I'm gonna say also what you were saying about
1: platform what you were saying about stopping and reflecting and filling up with gratitude I'm going to send you one of my um Jewish joy journals which is like a six month gratitude journal Mm -hmm. with like Jewish values and and goal planning and all kinds of good stuff and lots of tikkun it's 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 gorgeous so I'm going to send that to you I think it's going to fit in nicely with everything you said
0: (laughs) I love that thank you so much I look forward to getting it so beautiful that you made that
1: oh it's been amazing today Kathy lots of love If this episode inspired you in some way, I'd love you to take a screenshot of you listening on your device and post it to your Instagram stories and tag me at your Jewish life. I'd love to be Instagram friends. I'd also be thrilled if you wanted to share this episode with anyone you know who might benefit from it and subscribe so you don't miss an episode as well. If you want to do another mitzvah, if you leave a review, that would be amazing because that way more people get to know about the podcast. We can spread our wonderful... Jewish joy all over so that would be fabulous if you wanted to leave me a review. Just before I go I've got a little gift for you, I'm gonna put a big Jewish joy smile on your face and it is my personal ultimate Jewish joy Spotify playlist. It's 50 uplifting Jewish joy songs that are perfect for dancing around the living room or blasting out in the car, just immersing yourself in Jewish joy. It's the best Jewish music and Israeli music covering all kinds of genres, and styles, and it is so uplifting and so fun. It's guaranteed joy whether you're Jewish, Jewish, or becoming Jewish. I think you're gonna love it. So just head to yourjewishlife.co slash playlist to grab it. That's yourjewishlife.co slash playlist. You can grab the Spotify playlist and you can be dancing around your living room in a matter of minutes. So off you go. I will see you back here for the next episode.